You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And hello there, I'm Abe Shapiro. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, September 23rd, 2021. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Nathaniel Weinzappel speaks with Professor Natasha McBean to better understand dryland ecosystems and why they are important in the global climate cycle, as well as the impact her NASA-funded research would have on the scientific understandings of drylands. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, the producers of our public affairs show, KiteLine, review some recent prison-related news and announcements. But first, your daily headlines. At the September 20th meeting of the Bloomington Redevelopment Commission, Director of Housing and Neighborhood Development Brent Pierce issued an announcement on behalf of the Rental Assistance Program. I'm sorry, everyone. I do want to mention, I'm trying to make sure I mention this at every meeting I'm at, but if anyone knows, uh, we are really trying to get the word out on the rental assistance program that the state has. So if any of you know of someone who is uh, maybe delinquent in their rent or a landlord or property manager who has delinquent tenants, um, please uh, send them our direction. Uh, We can get them uh, routed into the system for the uh, state emergency rental assistance program. This is something that's really important. There's lots and lots of money out there to help people with up to 12 months of rent as well as utilities. So uh, we don't award that money from hand. It's a state program, but we can give them the information they need to apply and and talk them through the process a little bit. Um, But getting the word out here in Bloomington and Monroe County is really, really important. Assistant City Attorney Larry Allen shared the plans for purchasing a parcel of land near the hospital. The property is located at 605 South Madison Street. As you all know, you you authorized uh, an offer to the owners of 605 South Madison, which is part of the Bloomington Hospital Reuse uh, Phase 1 East uh, block, essentially, that's that's getting redone and was part of the master plan. Uh, the good news is those the uh, sellers accepted that offer um, for $265,000. This would allow us to purchase a key parcel that's right in the middle of that Phase 1 East development and um, actually save us some cost on some of the, the infrastructure redevelopment because this particular parcel sits a little lower um, to build the retaining walls all the way around it had we not been able to obtain it. The purchase was approved unanimously. The next Bloomington redevelopment meeting will be held on October 4th. Thank you, Benedict. At the Bloomington Board of Public Safety meeting on September 21st, the Fire Department Chief Jason Moore shared that the Bloomington Fire Department improved its public protection classification. Because it's really big news, I did want to mention that um, our department did receive an upgraded ISO score of one, uh, which puts us as the fourth community in Indiana and the only city in Indiana that has that designation. Moore also reported on flood damages incurred at the station due to flooding in June and noted that they are considering other locations for the fire station in the future. Um, And we are now focusing back into the um, flood claims 
We are also uh, evaluating potential site locations for a new uh, fire department headquarters or a new fire station uh, because uh, we did receive mold reports back, uh, which only adds to the list of issues that structure had. Um, so that is something that we will be looking at and we will probably be included in that, uh, the findings of where and uh, the next stages for our department. Obviously that will be some pretty big expenses um, because we have an engineer report that shows four of our stations now need to be replaced, we are uh, in a pretty good position to start requesting federal money towards some of those projects, which is our intention. The board approved funding to fix the flood damage unanimously. The board also approved a disciplinary decision for a staff member who violated fire department rules when they brought a firearm to the station. The disciplinary motion to suspend staff member J.D. Scott for six months without pay and to move him to a different station and shift passed unanimously. Up next, the producers of our public affairs program, KiteLine, offer some recent prison-related news and announcements. KiteLine airs each Friday at 5.30 p.m. on WFHB Community Radio. The full program is available online at wfhb.org or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Six well-known Palestinian political prisoners have escaped from the Bilboa prison, a maximum security Israeli-run facility in Palestine, in what Reuters described as a, quote, Hollywood-style escape, end quote. The prisoners escaped through a tunnel they dug in the prison floor over five months. On the day of the escape, the guard in charge of the area containing the tunnel entrance was asleep while on duty, and apparently the guards at the command center, where computer screens reveal the whole prison, were not paying attention. According to details in the Israeli press, as reported by Mint Press News, quote, human error, carelessness, and perhaps even the help of officers in the prison all led to the success of the prison break, end quote. Soon after September 10th, two of the men were captured by Israeli forces in Nazareth. In a previous episode, we reported on the case of Purvis Payne, a black man with an intellectual disability who has been on Tennessee's death row for 33 years, always maintaining his innocence. More than 750,000 people have signed a petition supporting Payne's fight for justice, but he is still at risk of execution. In May, Payne's legal team filed a petition arguing that executing him would be unconstitutional because of his intellectual disability. Judge Paul Scon is set to hear this claim on, on December 30th, but the Tennessee Supreme Court could still set a new execution date at any time. Judge Scon warned that the lawyers that she doesn't have the authority to stay in execution should a date be set. In the last year, a groundswell of support for Mr. Payne has developed, and his case inspired the passing of a new law in Tennessee that requires the state to recognize the unconstitutionality of executing people with intellectual disabilities. 
His case has received support from a broad and diverse coalition, including former Solicitor General and Judge Ken Starr, Martin Luther King III, Brian Stevenson, Southern Christian Leadership Conference President Dr. Charles Steele, and Dan Duster, the grandson of Ida B. Wells. As Payne, who contracted COVID-19 when it ran rampant through prisons, awaits justice, advocates are revving up their efforts and organized a series of events on September 8th to raise awareness for his case. Supporters from all over the country gathered for one hour to mark the one-year anniversary of the weekly rallies in Memphis to hashtag free Purvis pain. Quote, we are gathering to bear witness and to show our leaders that we are not going away until Purvis is free, end quote, said Dr. Andre Johnson, organizer of the weekly Memphis rallies. Indiana University Bloomington professor Natasha McBean has recently been awarded a research grant from NASA to help better understand the world's drylands and their ecosystems. WFHB correspondent Nathaniel Weinzaffel speaks with Professor McBean to better understand dryland ecosystems and why they are important in the global climate cycle, as well as the impact our NASA-funded research would have on the scientific understandings of drylands. When you think of drylands, what first comes to mind? What about a field of zebras galloping across the savannas of Africa? Or perhaps a rattlesnake slithering past cacti in the deserts of Arizona? Maybe you think of a herd of cattle munching their way through the Great Plains of the United States. Dryland ecosystems make up around 40% of the land in the United States, including the vast desert of the Southwest and the Great Plains. Similarly, Drylands comprise 40% of the entire Earth's land surface. With this in mind, a better understanding of such a vast area of the globe proves necessary. Indiana University professor Natasha McBean shares a similar sentiment. She was recently awarded a grant from the NASA Research Opportunities in Space and Earth Sciences Carbon Cycle Program to do just that, to understand more about drylands and specifically their role in the carbon cycle, and how climate change could affect the ecosystem. Last week, Professor McBean spoke with WFHB News about her work. My research into drylands is primarily to understand the kind of ecosystem scale processes, so that the interaction between vegetation and water and carbon cycling um, and how all of that is responding to climate change and also to land management change as well. Um, and mostly that's um, driven or motivated by a, a wider research sort of theme of mine, which is to understand global carbon cycling. Um, so we are obviously emitting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Um, and the land and the ocean uh, are taking up, they're absorbing about 50% of those emissions. And 
So we know that at kind of global scale number, but what we don't know is really which ecosystems, which regions and which processes are driving that, sort of what we call a sink of carbon. And we also don't know if we're going to sort of maintain that 50% reduction on our emissions into the future or not. So we need to understand that better. And it has been highlighted in the past sort of decade or so that semi-arid ecosystems even and dryland ecosystems more broadly um, are playing a big role in, in the sort of interannual sort of year-to-year variability in global carbon cycling. Um, and so we, we want to understand that a bit better. And there are lots of people working in the field in dryland ecosystems, understanding processes, and that's been that work has been going on for a while. But where my research comes in is really scaling that up to broader scales, sort of regional to continental scales, and then up to the globe as well. Um, and the sort of second component of that is making sure that our process understanding of the carbon water um, vegetation dynamics is implemented into the, the kinds of global earth system models that we're using for uh, climate change projections for the IPCC, for example. With this broad overview of Professor McBean's work in mind, the experts shared more about drylands themselves and some of their characteristics. Drylands are um, inherently water-limited, and, and all uh, most of their ecosystem processes um, uh, are driven by moisture availability. And so that means that there's sort of less rainfall on average, and there is a kind of potential for evaporation, evapotranspiration. And so there are lots of different strategies in these ecosystems, a lot of different vegetation types um, and strategies for dealing with that kind of at least seasonal water stress and and year-to-year changes in water availability. Drylands, you know, they cover about 40% of our land surface. Some of that is, is, you know, obviously the desert. So that takes up about, um, I guess, 7%. So I think, you know, one third of the land surface is, is kind of the semi-arid, um, sub-humid dryland ecosystems that have quite a bit of vegetation. They're kind of savannas or grasslands, etc. And they have a lot of sort of ecosystem services, we should say, and they support about just over a third of the world's population. Um, so they have tons of ecosystem services for those that population, such as often these regions are used for grazing, for uh, livestock production, um, there's obviously uh, water uh, availability issues in, uh, in those ecosystems for the populations that need water. Um, we actually, in the U.S., I, I can't remember now the number, but we grow a lot of our crops in the U.S. Um, in the southwest and west, uh, where it's actually water limited, which I don't think always makes that much sense, um, especially some of the crops that need a lot of water and, and therefore are irrigated a lot. So uh, these are the kinds of ecosystem services that are, uh, come from these ecosystems. They're also really diverse, and they've got a lot of different um, flora and fauna that are also, you know, often beneficial for various, you know, for food, for culture, and medicines, et cetera. So lots of different purposes and supporting a lot of the of the world's population. Dryland ecosystems are extremely complex and important for many key species that depend on them, as well as humans who depend on them for their livelihood and survival. 
A key part of MacBean's research is to understand how climate change and other human effects could impact drylands. Climate change, I'd say, is sort of is one of the big pressures. Um, other pressures are kind of just population increase and land management. You know, like I just mentioned, are we really managing the land well in these ecosystems? So often overgrazing them and overcultivating them and maybe not growing the right crops, et cetera. That's, that's one thing. And climate change interacts with that. Um, the, the biggest things that climate change is going to do in these ecosystems is change the water availability. And so that's a couple of things. One is um, changing rainfall variability. So it, it sometimes means more intense storms. Um, for example, the southwest U.S. is driven by the North American monsoon, which provides the water availability. And that's not necessarily going to go away, but the, the characteristics of it might change. You know, if there are more intense storms, then that's not necessarily a good thing. We might lose a lot of that water as, as runoff. Um, it's just too intense for the ecosystems to manage. But there's also with climate change, a lot of drought. Most of the west and southwest of the U.S., for example, has been in a mega drought for most of this century. Um, and that's we think, going to be exacerbated with climate change. So these ecosystems really rely on water availability. They're adapted to the kind of seasonal changes in water availability. And as that change and changes and potentially gets more, you know, extreme droughts in the future with climate change, the, the plants and, and all the ecosystem processes are going to have to adapt to that. Um, and, and the second thing I'd say with climate change that I think we're seeing a lot now is um, potentially increased risk of wildfire. There is an interplay there with land management um, and building and, and sort of urban expansion and how we've managed fires in the past. But um, we think that, you know, one of the reasons why wildfires might be increasing is increasing temperatures. And and again, dry land ecosystems are well adapted to deal with fire over, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. But um, as these changes are sort of accelerating, the, the vegetation will have to adapt to that as well. Dryland ecosystems and how they relate to the global carbon cycle and global climate is a topic that requires more understanding. As mentioned before, Professor McBean was recently awarded a $900,000 grant from NASA to provide funding for more research into drylands. McBean described how this grant came about and what her team's research will do to improve the mapping of drylands and better understand the potential environmental effects on the ecosystem. So NASA has a bunch of different calls on different topics, and they have a carbon cycle science program that's specifically about understanding the carbon cycle of, of terrestrial ecosystems. Um, it can be any type of ecosystem. Um, and so, you know, I've been already doing research in dryland carbon cycling and through my work in when I was at the University of Arizona, my collaborators there. So I got together with a with a few different collaborators who are working in the southwest um, and working on, on drylands um, to, to put in a grant that was aimed at really improving our understanding of carbon cycling in drylands. And, and what we're trying to do is is a mixture of different things. So we're trying to improve our mapping of different um, plant types, vegetation types, and soil cover in these regions because they're often very um, spatially heterogeneous. If you think of savannas, you know, you've got shrubs dotted everywhere and it's very difficult to map those types of ecosystems. 
And then once we hopefully can do that a little bit better, we're, we're going to take a lot of other measurements from the field, remote sensing measurements, and link uh, that kind of cover type, the plant cover type, to the functioning and their responses to uh, changing rainfall, et cetera. Um, and then the third part is to implement that in, into models. So it's really a kind of bringing together of people working on different things, modeling, remote sensing, field measurements, and working across scales, you know, scaling up from understanding ecosystem processes at the field scale to modeling at the regional to global scale um, with remote sensing and satellite data, you know, in between there. So, yeah, that's how it came about, just a, a meeting of collaborators who wanted to continue working on that. With an uncertain future, McBean's research offers a chance for scientists to understand and perhaps predict the future of drylands through the use of modeling. McBean provided insight as to how this project will help in this endeavor. What we really want to do, and that's you know one of the goals of this project, is to make sure that we have the sort of right process understanding in the kinds of models that we use to make predictions like that. And then you know hopefully by the end of this project, we we won't have um, developed everything that we need in the models um, to to look at those kinds of questions. But I think we'll be able to say you know run kind of future simulations under climate change scenarios and see whether we are seeing, for example, like an expansion of, of dryland vegetation. That's, that's a real uh, overall goal. But I'd say we want to really test and develop the models a little bit better first before we say that more definitively. With hard work and dedication, Professor Natasha McBean's work is being recognized for its immense importance and is now funded by NASA. With research just beginning, there are limitless amounts of information to still be learned about our world's drylands. For WFHB, I'm Nathaniel Weinzaffel. Up next, we have a weekly consumer watchdog segment, Better Beware. Today's episode is titled, Robocalls Never End. Host Richard Fish says, quote, I've been getting annoying voicemails and take great pleasure in letting you hear them so you'll know they're phonies, end quote. Better Beware airs each Wednesday during the WFHB local news. You can find the program online at WFHB.org. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. The robocalls are coming to get you, coming to get you, and I've been getting them lately. First, there was this friendly gentleman. You need to let you know that your existing account is qualified for 50% off. In order to build the discounts, kindly call us back at 866-616-2111 from 8 a.m. till 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Thank you and have a great day. Wednesday, 11, 13 a.m. Who called back later from another number with another number. Kindly call us back. 877-919-1702. Monday, 1, 41 p.m. 
Hey, my outgoing voicemail says I don't accept calls from machines, and neither should you. And then there's the amazingly persistent phony medical benefit scammers. First, they called from Worthington, Texas. If you do not act soon, we will label you ineligible for this benefit. Acts? To get more information about your screening test, please press 1 now. Well, of course I didn't. Or call us back on 716-902-7764. And I didn't do that either. If you wish to opt out from future calls, Please press 9 now. And confirm that my phone is live so I get a million more calls? I don't think so. Monday, 9.06 a.m. So I blocked that number, and then I got a call from Thousand, Maryland. If you do not act soon, we will label you ineligible for this benefit. To get more information about your screening test, please press 1 now. Monday, 11, 12. A.M. And I blocked that number, but then... If you do not act soon, we will label you ineligible for this benefit. Monday, 4.52 p.m. And I blocked that number, but still... If you do not act soon, we will label you ineligible for this benefit. To get more information about your screening test, please press 1 now. Tuesday, 3. 46 p.m. End of final message. Well, I hope so. Of course, I'm already ineligible for their health benefit because there isn't one. If you've been getting these calls, I hope you haven't fallen for them. You can block calls on your phone, whether it's a cell phone or a landline. How to do that differs from provider to provider, but it's well worth finding out how to do it. Blocking a number takes only a few seconds, and it actually works most of the time. So far, it's been a whole day, and I haven't gotten a phony health benefit call yet. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs, and these grifters didn't get any of my money, but I got to put them on the radio, because you support WFHB. Thank you. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at WFHB.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Nathaniel Weinsapfel. Kite Line is produced by Maya Beach. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB News, I'm Abe Shapiro. Live and learn. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. You too can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email us at www.wfhb.org. Stay tuned for Big Talk, a one-on-one conversation with some of Bloomington's most fascinating people. Coming up next on WFHB.
been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 